It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Jobsolete, where we talk about jobs that are long gone. Today, we're looking at a job from when the only way for most people to hear music was live. And a big part of any local music scene was big band orchestras. And in this episode, we're learning about who led them. Old-timey phonographs. Silent films with live bands. You're not ready for this, but your kids are going to love it. Finding band members without Craigslist. The Lost Generation. Bathtub booze will make you go blind. Black and white audiences coming together. And hot clarinetists. So what do you know about big band orchestras and their leaders? I don't know much. I know what big bands are. They do like yeah, yeah. that swing type of music. And there was obviously like a horn section and a rhythm section and all that. And there was usually like a leader type person. I, I think maybe... Did the leader type person usually play an instrument too, like a trumpet or something? Yeah, that was actually kind of what makes them distinct from your typical orchestra leader. So a big band orchestra leader actually did a lot more than just lead the band. They were they did a lot of things, actually. We're going to learn about that in this episode, but uh, we're talking just a little, a little preview here. We're talking about Sometimes they'd make the songs, compose the, and arrange the music. They'd book stuff, you know, be like managers. They would have auditions for band members and manage them. Sometimes act as accountants or business managers. I mean, the, yeah, they were, it was quite a uh, wide range of skills. I had no for... idea that accounting was part of the job description of a big band leader. You got to make sure all the mo- everybody's getting paid That's in the true. band. That's true. If you have 20 band members, yeah, you need to get them all paid for sure. So, Matt, should we, are you ready to jump yes. in? Yes. Are you ready to <laughs> jump into the Jobsolete time machine? Yeah. Back to the roaring 20s, the heyday of the big band orchestra leader. <laughs> okay, we are actually, 
let's go to the first two decades of the 1900s as a whole here, because this is something that's always fascinated me. Early recordings. Do you remember ever listening to early recordings at some point in your life? Yeah, they're really scratchy sounding and they sound like they're three rooms away. But, <laughs> you know, when vinyl first was invented, that's just all there was. Yes, yes. So some context here. Early record players were called phonographs and they were much more high maintenance when they were very expensive, too, when they first came out. So the late 1800s, most Americans, most people around the world could not afford them. But in the early 1900s, all of a sudden, they, they were able to reach a point where they could produce them more cheaply. And so you go from like 4 million phonographs in homes in 1900 to almost 30 million 10 years later. Whoa. And, and then a few years later, we have radios, which they didn't start to become more popular and affordable until the 1920s. And so you're just thinking, okay, more and more people can listen to music in their homes. They can have parties and save money. They don't have to go to concerts to listen to live music anymore. They can actually just all gather around the phonograph. But what was crazy is that even though record players were becoming more affordable by World War I, live music actually exploded. It got more popular. That kind of makes sense because if you have a record player and you buy a record that you really love, now you're like hooked on this band or this artist and you're like, oh my God, I would love to see this person live. Or this genre, right? Because jazz also is this new genre that's exciting that's entering the scene by that time. And that's why we have this whole culture and this phenomenon. And today we've got an expert, of course, to explain that phenomenon. More specifically, he's a musician in a big band orchestra. And he's actually, he leads a band based out of New York City called the Nighthawks. And they specialize in 1920s and 1930s style jazz music. Nice. Plus, he's a music historian, so he knows a lot about this. So we talked to him about how like big bands were becoming a mainstream thing, beginning in in the early the late teens to early nineteen uh, twenties. Hi, this is Vince Giordano from Vince Giordano and the Nighthawks. Starting in the late teens, uh, there's always been little combos, pianos, but you had big bands like when you went to see a, a silent film you had to have music to accompany the picture. And as dance halls got bigger, you needed more musicians. You just couldn't be there with a trio. You'd be lost in this uh, big dance hall and people wanted big bands. So you had, by the 1920s, uh, the Roaring Twenties, the idea of a big band, maybe 12 pieces. There were some exceptions, like Paul Whiteman, who had something like 22 pieces uh, that's where it really started. I forgot that at one point there were silent films and the only way that you, a silent film could have a soundtrack is if you actually had a live band in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Like, that's crazy to me. But that makes so much sense is that these silent films, like you needed a musical accompaniment. And so they would have a band in the movie theater. Like, that's so... It's such a strange concept to me, but back then, it's, that's all there was if you needed sound with your movie. Everybody wanted to dance and socialize and, and get out there, and this was the trend. They, they had some extra 
extra time and money for the first time. And jazz was it. I mean, jazz is like rap today. It's It was the pop music of the time. So a lot of folks thought that jazz music was actually corrupting the youth. Jazz was a, a weird thing that happened in the 20s. I mean, there were articles like written in newspapers and magazines saying the bad influence on jazz, how this was leading to, uh, you know, staying out late and that young people are going to get corrupted. Almost like what happened when rock and roll came in 30 years later. That's so funny and quaint. There might be an argument to people saying, oh, the music is corrupting because of the lyrics. But you're talking about, he's talking about music that didn't even have lyrics. <laughs> Being like, oh, that chord progression. Ooh, it's just so dirty. It's so naughty. <laughs> I think the main thing was that it really was good at getting people to dance. And what this brought some some people together and the young girls and the young boys got together on the weekends and danced to this jazz music. So I think that was really what they were afraid of, you know? Do you know what the music was, the pop music before jazz? There really wasn't a pop music before jazz, unless you're talking like John Philip Sousa or like... Oh, uh, so it was like classical. Yeah, like oh, true orchestras. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah, so they're like, they're jumping from like Beethoven. <laughs> They're jumping from Beethoven and Brahms to suddenly like Benny Goodman and Louis Armstrong. Yeah, I could. Yeah. You know what? In that context, I could see. Oh, this is so naughty. It's just so different. I think that was a big thing, too. I couldn't imagine. I always think about this, too. Like somebody who was like, the. I'm sorry, we always bring up movies references, but I don't even care. Like Back to the Future again. Like the Back to the Future 1, he's rocking out on the guitar and the audience in the 1950s is just staring at him. What the heck what is he doing? What even like, are we listening to? Yeah. Because <laughs> I guess you're not ready for that, but your parent or but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, it's just jazz was such a, a radical departure from earlier styles of music. But so, yeah, these big band orchestra leaders, they were the face of the jazz orchestra. So what were the qualifications if you wanted to be a band leader? Well, first, you had to be a musician. That's probably something you would have guessed. Yeah, uh, you had to be ambitious. You had to be able to manage people. I think a lot of it was just being able to form a group and book shows. Everybody was trying to be the most up-to-date, the, the hottest, the jazziest. Like you had a brass section of maybe, say, two trumpets and a trombone at your brass. Then you had three saxophones that doubled on clarinets and other instruments. So that's your sax section. And then you had your rhythm section of a piano, a banjo, a drum, and either you played tuba, a string bass, or bass saxophone. So that's your rhythm section. Later on, the music changed with like say the swing era, and you added more brass and more saxophones, the rhythm pretty much stayed the same, but the tuba uh, and the banjo went away to be replaced with a string bass and a guitar to get a smoother sound. And drum sets changed too. You had ride cymbals and things like that. So the music that was written in, in your store-bought stock orchestrations would reflect uh, the size of the bands of that time. So you had your banjo part and your tuba part and and the brass and the saxes, and you were able to uh, have a big band. It's so crazy because in modern times, you hear stories of like bands, the front man, 
or front woman of a band will be like, oh, I started a band in high school or I started a band after college and I was friends with a guitarist and we put an ad on, on Craigslist for a drummer and that's how our band got together. But that's three or four people. He's talking mm -hmm. about hiring a band of 12 to 15 people. Like that's, a, you gotta find a lot of people who to who play a lot of different instruments so it's actually a big undertaking if you're a big band leader and you're the one that has to find these 15 people you know, one of them plays a banjo three of them play a trumpet that's crazy and you can't just find a good banjo player on any corner unless maybe you're in new orleans maybe i but and, and then like on top of that you gotta feed them and pay them make sure that they keep coming back because if they're not getting paid anything it's like okay I, I... <laughs> I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks with zero qualifications she had a harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents she's got all of these maseratis and bentley's all in the driveway is it like a mansion yes it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich man because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
where do you even find these people? Because they didn't have Craigslist. No, you'd have to put up flyers the old-fashioned way up on the streets. You'd oh. have to network and uh, talk to dance hall managers. And you had to be somebody who was very extroverted and, and not afraid to just ask around. And I think the hardest part was the, just getting the band started. And now you have your band. Okay, so what skills are needed to execute as a, as a good big band orchestra leader? Band leader became a, in quotes, star, really from the 1920s on, the early 20s, with the advent of uh, phonograph records and radio appearances and the press that they got in the newspapers. And when people really liked a band, well, they just knew the band leader. They didn't really care about the musicians in the band around. They were sort of secondary. Uh, so this, this continued in uh, in the 20s and 30s and people demanded what you did you you played the trumpet or the saxophone or you had a big band or a small band people needed you and they liked you and and you were sort of a star you know so to speak maybe in your own hometown or uh in, in a big band each band leader has his or her own way of being the band leader some people are show people and they do little gimmicks and uh, get into a little comedy, a little ad lib, and some are very straightforward. They don't do any kind of commercial uh, gesturing. They'll, they'll just be either great musicians or maybe non-musicians, but they, they're in front and leading the band in their own way. That's so similar to the front person of a modern band. Everyone knows the name of the lead singer of Maroon 5, but no one knows the rest of the band. <laughs> no one knows who else yeah. is in Maroon 5 or like the Killers or Radiohead or something. Like you're very familiar with the lead singer, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you who the bassist in Radiohead was. Is that Johnny Greenwood? No, I don't know. <laughs> I know I, I do like, like radio. I know a exactly. It's a bad example, but no, yeah. I, like a lot of it, you're right. A lot of bands have that lead singer who ends up just having a solo career, you know, right. like yeah. do, because of that. And it's the charisma, it's the commanding of a stage that I think those qualities that are almost intangible sometimes. Yeah, and and I know a lot of people envision when we we when we say like orchestra leader. They're just thinking like, oh, yeah, like he mentioned a baton, just like a conductor, like mm. actually keeping the beat. And but, you know, a lot of these musicians were professionals. They could keep their own beat. So really, it was more for show. It wasn't like it was like the big band leader really was just there to kind of keep the show flowing and keep making sure that the audience was still entertain entertained. And I say, hey, guys, I can I'm reading the audience right now. And I think we need to go with this song instead of this song. You know, yeah. What I mean? I wonder so. if they I wonder if they had the same like charisma with groupies you know, like <laughs> the way that the lead singer of Maroon 5 has groupies or the lead singer of Radiohead has groupies like people like women like screaming their name in the front row and be like oh my god he's so sexy I wonder if women back then were like look at the way he plays that trumpet oh my god he's so hot you know that's an interesting thing because like <laughs> You don't hear of the groupie phenomenon until later on with Elvis and the Beatles, but it doesn't that doesn't mean it didn't we didn't have people like that were just like following these big band 
orchestra leaders around. Oh, he's so dreamy. You see the way he leads that band? And then he starts playing the trumpet. <laughs> I bet Benny Goodman was getting it. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. He was definitely a good uh, band leader, though. I'm just, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, he was getting it. Are you looking at a picture of him right now? No. Should I be? I wonder what I, he looked like. I forgot what he looked like. Yeah. Let's, let's Google. Benny Goodman. I wonder if he was hot. American clarinetist. Oh, the clarinet. That Now that's a hot instrument. Ooh, clar- Ooh play that clarinet, Benny. Oh, he was so nerdy and unassuming looking. But still, if he was like a hot, in his heyday, a hot band leader, I bet he was getting it. So what was a typical day like for a band leader? Anywhere from two to three hours early to set up all the equipment, the chairs, the stands, the lights, the books, test the microphones, put up a listing of tunes, just making sure that everything's working. All this, It's very mundane. Make sure all the bulbs are working in the, in the lamps that are over the music stands. And occasionally there's things that uh, go wrong. Uh, the uh, sound system goes out or the one of the speakers the was overused over the weekend by the DJ and uh, blew a couple of tweeters. And so you're scuffling around to see how you're going to make this night work. And they were the band leader. That was the whole position of this person. And, and, and then others like Duke Ellington sat at the piano and led the band. Occasionally would get up and direct a certain ending or beginning. So... You needed, a, you needed a band leader when, when you had all these musicians around. On a given night, you'd have hundreds and hundreds of couples, all dancing, all syncopating or waltzing or doing some Latin steps if, if need be. And uh, this was just part of the whole social scene. It reminds me of when you do hear about like modern bands and when they first start out, they're like, oh, we had to drive to the gig in a van and get there early and set up all our own equipment. And we were our own roadies and we had to put up flyers ourselves to try to get people to come see us. Like it was it sounds very similar. This hits really close to home. That's that's a big chunk of my life was doing that. And playing to in small venues where 10 people show up, yeah. and, but you're doing it all. And, and it is stressful, but you love it. Like you think about it, there's so much time and effort that goes into preparing. And then a lot of times the show itself is what, 30 minutes? Yeah. Or, but I think the difference with a big band leader, uh, like compared to like a modern band is their mission is to get everybody in the room dancing. And mm. I, could, I don't think I ever played a show where there was that many, like hardly anybody <laughs> dancing. You don't really care as much. It's not your job. But then everybody in the room had to be entertained. And I think that was what they made sure of. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes about six million approximately 11 million dollars nearly 10 million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry she would probably have sex with one of her clients hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life. Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories. I'm also regularly joined by some of the most brilliant names in the field of archaeology and ancient history, authors of your favorite retellings from today, and everyone in between. Join me as I dive into the wild world of the ancient Greeks and their stories. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It, it's, it sounds like to me, the big band leaders of the time, like your job was a cross between a, a modern band, rock band that's just starting out and also a DJ, like a club DJ where people come to see you and they're there to dance. And your job was to get them dancing and selling drinks and stuff like that. Just got out of this horrendous plague that was around the World War One time. There was World War One, which was the war to end all wars, supposedly. So there was the Victorian values of the 1890s and the teens, and young people just didn't want to hear anything about that. They wanted to dance to hot music, and because they were told that they could not drink, because it was prohibition, forget it. They were going to drink, and they got booze of all sorts. Some of it was old stock before they shut it down. Some people made their own booze. Some people smuggled it from Canada or from Cuba. And some people got sick and got blind and died because of this bad booze. So it, it, it was very high energy times. I cannot believe that people went blind from bad alcohol. Yeah, they did. That's actually where the term blind drunk 
comes from because wow. people <laughs> this is alcohol that was made in homes like a lot of times it was made in bathtubs and they had no idea how much alcohol was in there and it actually would some it, it, for some people the toxin levels were so high that it could damage the optic nerve <gasps> and that's why yeah whoa, whoa i have had some strong drinks but i guess i'm glad for i guess i'm lucky that this even <laughs> as strong as the drinks that i've had at least they were regulated <laughs> I was going to say, are you are you pro-prohibition? Should we bring prohibition back? Oh, that... <laughs> lordy, no. Legalize and regulate. So there were many notable big band orchestra leaders, but I think the one we're going to focus on in this episode is Paul Whiteman. Have you heard of Paul Whiteman? I have not. I hadn't either, and apparently he's a big freaking deal. Um, like a lot of standards were like he was responsible for, so... I always cite as Paul Whiteman as being the first who really set the standards. And a lot of the band leaders talk about him, guys that went on to the 30s and 40s, even fellows like Duke Ellington and Count Basie and, and Tommy Dorsey and Jimmy Dorsey. They always talk about Paul Whiteman as setting a standard. So how and why did the big band era end? Really, from the 1920s on, the early 20s, with uh, the advent of phonograph records and radio appearances and the press that they got in the newspapers. And when people really liked a band, they just knew the band leader. They didn't really care about the musicians in the band around. They were secondary. So this, this continued in the 20s and 30s. And then eventually, when the band vocalist started to really take over, like fellows like Bing Crosby and and uh, later on Frank Sinatra, then they became the big stars, and the band leader was secondary. Yeah, I could see how if you're the quote-unquote front man of a band, but then somebody like Frank Sinatra busts out and starts singing, you're no longer the star. <laughs> Yeah. Like if you're take your clarinet and get back there. We don't need you anymore. We have this hot singer dude. Especially when they're singing words about love. Oh yeah, if they're crooning, that's really going to get the ladies going. Yeah, another thing that developed was better technology with phonograph records. And so like the early phonograph records, as you mentioned at the beginning of this episode was like, you know, it sounded like it was they were like three rooms away, really <laughs> horrible quality sound. <laughs> But especially like with horns and then, but once that technology got better, they were like, oh, you know what? This actually sounds pretty good even in my living room now. So I'm just going to listen to this at home. And, but of course, why would I listen to it in my home? So in the 1930s, we also have the The Great Great Depression. Depression. You are so on it. Uh, You know what? Your history-ness is rubbing off on me. (laughs) (laughs) People had to make decisions that were like, okay, do I eat this week or do i go buy a or go to a dance hall and, and oh and yeah if you, like, can't, if you can't afford rice and beans you're definitely not affording a ticket to go see a big band in the middle of the yeah. depression forget that and if they were lucky they did have a radio or some kind of record player in the house and then that would take the place and so you could just dance at home just felt different they didn't have to go out dancing hundreds and thousands of people people also started to watch their money. They really didn't want to go out and and spend 
money dancing. They were raising families. Eventually, new technology came into being, like television, where even the movies suffered because people didn't go to the movies like they used to. Yeah. I feel like technology is always going to be driving people home because the better the technology is for entertainment in your house, the less you're going to want to go outside because of Netflix and all the great streaming that I have. Like I hardly ever go to the movie theater anymore. And Mm -hmm. if you, if a ticket to see like your, if a ticket to see Beyonce costs $570, which it does, then I'll just see the Beyonce concert on HBO. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And by the time people did have money again, so jump ahead to after World War II, we see by that time that there are established singers, and including Louis Armstrong, who I said earlier, people may get it twisted that you know he was more of a band leader, but no, I think he would, at his, at his peak of popularity, which he had a very long career, but at his peak of popularity, he was a singer. Yeah. And yeah, like, uh, and so there was no stopping that. Frank Sinatra... Elvis Presley, it's just it just yeah, that cat's out of the bag. There ain't no, there ain't no clarinetist that's gonna go toe to toe with a hot crooner. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, take your trumpet and get go step step off with your trumpet. <laughs> sorry, Benny. <laughs> but big band leaders are still around today. Yeah, I was going to say, why are we talking about this as a job salute if our expert himself is still doing the job today? People still have nostalgia for this era, this jazz age. And of course, there's a market for that in certain places. And so plenty of people show up at New- in New York for Vince's shows with his band. So the Nighthawks kind of fit that the demand for this. I think that, again, it's uh, nostalgia, but it's also it's something that's just wildly different than other forms of entertainment today. Yeah, and it's probably a- as much as Vince and the Nighthawks is a-, a popular big band. He's probably one of just a handful. Whereas in its heyday, there were probably like dozens and dozens. Yeah, yeah. He definitely stands out. He, that's why we reached out to him. I guess it's not completely job obsolete since we're, our expert today is actually doing this job. And from what he described about his day-to-day life, it sounds actually very similar to the job that was done back in the day. But I guess it's job obsolete in the sense that he's probably one of only maybe... 10 or 12 people who are doing the job, right? Yeah, and I think the we see the we see like this job in many different jobs today, but we don't see it as like just one position. Yeah, it's not like the average person in the country is going, "Hey, what do you want to do this weekend? Movies or big band?" <laughs> <laughs> so we want to know who is your favorite big band orchestra leader? And I can't hear you right now, so you're going to have to go on Twitter and, and tell us there. Tweet at us, at JobsoletePod, and you can find Vince at VinceGiordano.com. Jobsolete is produced for iHeartRadio by Zealot Manufacturing Hand Forge Podcast for you. It's hosted by us, Helen Hong, that's me, and Matt Beat. That's me. The show was conceived and produced by Steve Zamarki, Anthony Savini, and Jason Elliott. Our editor is Tommy Nickel. Our researcher is Amelia Polka. Our production coordinator is Angie Jaimez. And theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. A special thanks to our iHeartRadio team. Katrina Norvell, Nikki Etor, Ali Cantor, Carrie Lieberman, Will Pearson, Connell Byrne, and Bob Pittman. 
Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.